The Frozen North, Episode 76, Trinity Sight. To episode number 76 of the Frozen North Gaming Podcast, Trinity Sight. Mark, what does that mean we're talking about today? That means we're talking about um, Trinity from the Matrix and, and all the things she saw. Like, from her perspective? It's, that's, not, that's not right. <laughs> that's not even, not even close to, to what we're talking about here. Well, uh, we're actually talking about Sweet Coden 3! Yes, we are. Uh, my name is JJ, if you haven't heard us before, and I'm here with my two good friends, Mark. Howdy, y'all! And Brian. Howdy, y'all, in a more respectable manner. I'm respectable. <laughs> <laughs> we are a podcast talking about video games, and today we are going to be talking about Suikoden 3. It's going to be an episode devoted entirely to it. Uh, if you've heard our last two episodes that we have done with the Suikoden series for the first and second games in the series, you know that, uh, that we, we have... Uh, our, our friend Ryan from the Suikoden Revival Movement come on and talk to us a little bit about the game, and today will be no different. He's going to be here a little bit later on in the episode, and uh, we got some great, great things to talk about, and uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So, we're going to try and make the intro and uh, and some of this stuff really, really quick that we normally go over, um, and then we're going to do a quick review, and then we'll get him on, and good times. So, to start off, what have you guys been playing? I've been playing a lot of Fallout 4 still. I'm I'm about 44 hours into the game. Holy crap. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Mark, I'm yeah. impressed. Yeah, dude. I've been playing Grand Theft Auto Online. Played quite a bit of that yesterday with my brother. We did a little LAN party. Uh, and I just purchased Broforce and played that for like four or five hours yesterday as well. It's very fun. All right. Mark, having fun. Brian. Uh, beat Far Cry 4. Beat Batman Arkham Knight, and about halfway, a little past halfway done with uh, Legacy of the Void, the StarCraft II's uh, final expansion. I haven't even finished the second one yet. Oh, it's so good. Ugh. It's so good. That's the best told story and visual cinematics that Blizzard's done, for sure. Cool. I beat Tales of Zestaria, and fantastic game. I recommend it highly if you're a Tales fan. I also beat Gears of War, the first one, finally. Beat it last night at about 3 a.m. Uh, and our friend Brandon also hit, in the game that we finished, he also hit 100,000 gamer score nice. on his Xbox. Yeah, but how many platinum trophies? I, I don't know how that translates. But right. 100,000 is pretty pretty, pretty, pretty stellar. So, uh, way to go, Brandon. Okay, so if you would like to email us, our email address is frozennorthpodcast at gmail.com. Our website is fngaming.net. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash thefrozennorth. Our Twitter is at fnpodcast. Our blog is frozennorthpodcast.blogspot.com. We're on Twitch now at twitch.tv slash frozennorthgames. Uh, I stream usually Wednesdays and Thursday nights some, somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m. And uh, we are on iTunes, where we'd love for you to subscribe to and rate us on there. Just let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, news. News it up. All right, news. This is going to be brief, because uh, I'm wearing briefs. <laughs> no, I don't know. That, that was oh, okay. random. Oh, that's weird. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about PS4 Remote Play, because this is kind of a weird one. It's coming to PC and Mac. I guess there was some push to have Sony do this. I don't get it. I mean, it's cool that you can remote play to your computer, but I mean, I mean, wh- why? Like, why? That's my my question to you. Is it's not it's not for you. It's for the person who has one television and one computer, and isn't I don't know doesn't live alone. And if their wife or roommate wants to use the TV and they still want to play their games, same reason you want to play a Wii U game on the pad. Instead of the TV. I guess. Why don't you just play it on a Vita? Because what you if you don't computer have... computer screen. What if you... It, you know what? Some people don't like to play games on tiny okay, little screens. Okay. Yeah, some people aren't ridiculous. I just... I thought it was weird. I mean, it's cool. It's... Uh, I'm never going to, uh, you know, besmirch something for adding more features, but I just thought it was a kind of a side grade. Uh, moving on to more Sony. They're actually... They kind of did this with the Battlefront uh, games. They kind of unlocked the PS2 emulation just out of the blue. Everybody was like, huh? They had um, a couple games that were PS2 games that were upscaled to emulate with the uh, the Battlefront package that came out with the PS4. And now Microsoft's like, yeah, we're working on it. Uh, I don't think that they're going to actually go the same way that Xbox went with their backwards compatibility. That's essentially what... Uh, Microsoft's doing is they're just doing emulation software for right but here's why I don't think Sony's going to follow that model they have PlayStation now and that would be extremely weird to compete with themselves like that like hey we're going to give you backwards compatibility but hey come play PlayStation now so that you can also have backwards compatibility I feel like it would basically PlayStation now though isn't just available to people who have Right. PlayStations. If right. If you don't have a PlayStation, you can still use PlayStation Now. I realize that, but I still feel like it's a, it would be a really weird move for them to unlock backwards compatibility and also be pushing their PlayStation Now service. I, I would PlayStation see it, Now could be for all the people that jumped from Xbox to PlayStation. And that could be true. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it doesn't necessarily compete with the exact same audience. Right. Well, well why, if it's backwards compatible, why wouldn't you just buy the game and play it emulated hard rather than find. streamed? Hard to find. Some of those games are really expensive. Well, it's digital. It's digital emulation as well. So you could, they could unlock it in the PlayStation Store, you buy it, and then you have it. And you don't have to stream and pay for a service. That's why I think it's a weird a weird thing. Well, more to come. I mean, it's very, they've got very few library games unlocked so far. Um, and I, I personally am not a huge fan of going back and playing retro games. Um, but I do like the ability to have an upscaled version of these games if I am feeling the need to go at, back and play one. Because the resolution is greatly upscaled in these uh uh, PS2 games, obviously, you remember the PS2 era, very grainy textures and just the nature of the hardware. So, interesting. Uh, we'll see what more, more comes out of it, but uh, PS3 emulation should be uh, the next big. I think that's going to be more of a challenge. Absolutely. But... Uh, and then Mark, Deus Ex Mankind Divided has now slipped to an August 2016 release. That's fine. Mark says that's fine, but the reason is that they are citing the same thing that a lot of companies do is we don't want to release it unfinished product right which a lot of games have been doing lately let me just say i will allow it you'll allow it they have my permission this comes off of a lot of moves that they've been doing recently to uh kind of make sure that this game hits you know they they pulled back their pre-order scheme and all that kind of fun stuff and then the last bit of news a uh, ps4 sales uh 30 million worldwide now to give you an idea this is only through two years of its history 
Its best-selling platform, the PS2, sold 155 million units in nine years. So if you basically go with the trend, it's going to be quite a juggernaut PS4 if it continues to sell like it does. Um, yeah. If you remember that the PS3, in the same amount of time that the PS2 sold 155 million units, only sold 80 million, the PlayStation 4 is well on its way to eclipsing, uh, eclipsing the PS3. So pretty exciting news. And that's your news, guys. All right, so next up, we are going to do our review of Suikoden 3. Mark, this game was developed by Konami and published by Konami as well. Uh, what can you tell us about the story? Suikoden 3 takes place, uh, I don't know, I would say probably 30 years after Suikoden 2. I want to say it's 10. 10? I think it so. It seems like Apple is a lot older in... Sweet Coden 3. It doesn't matter. It takes place some amount of time after uh, Sweet Coden 2. And it takes place in a region sort of north of the region from Sweet Coden 2. Mm-hmm. In the region of Zexen and the Grasslands. So Zexen is like this classic uh, European knighthood type country. And the Grasslands are these little tribes just dotting the uh well i just said it the grassland <laughs> um and they've had their bad blood in the past they've had all these they've had wars in the past and in fact the firebringer this like legendary guy that bears the uh true fire rune has come and helped the grasslands in the past in this conflict but it's been quite a while since then but people are saying the firebringer's back and Stuff is happening, and the tensions are rising in the region. So in order to prevent another war, in order to stop anything more bad from happening, the Grasslands decide to send a young kid, the the son of the leader of the Karaya clan, mm-hmm. to Hugo. Zexen, Hugo, to Zexen to uh, offer them a truce or a treaty. And so he goes on his way. It's actually 15 years after. 15. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I just looked it up. So he goes on his way, and he's supposed to meet with the council in Zexen. Is it uh, Vene del Zexe? I think that's the capital. That's the Yeah, that's the one that's all the way to the far to the left. Yeah. So he's supposed to meet with the council, but something's holding him up, and he doesn't get to see them. And then in the middle of the night, the, the Zexen knights come and try to arrest him in his hotel. So he gets the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. Goes back to uh, Karaya, mm-hmm. and he sees it's burned, and the Zexans are destroying his uh, his tribe. And there's this knight on a horse, and Hugo's best friend, his little f- friend uh, Lulu, Lulu jumps up and she slashes him down and kills him because he was jumping at her and whatever. But nope. Hugo is distraught and just sees the the Zexans as horrible people because of this because they attacked when they were trying to have a truce and they killed his best friend. And it should be mentioned that the one that slashed him down, the knight that you're talking about, is yes. Chris, who is the, one of the other characters that you can play as. That's actually who I started as and only played her story for about three hours. So it's interesting that you say that because i got a unique perspective on it. Yeah, well, everyone gets that unique perspective. Yeah. She, she's but, one of my favorite video game characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think she was in my top five female, but I mean, like, I think overall she's one of my favorite as well. She's pretty fantastic. Um, uh, so that's her who slashed down Lulu, mm-hmm. and after that's basically the end of that chapter for Hugo. And if you go and play 
Chris's chapter one. You see it all from her point of view. It's all from her point of view. That's She's... that's my favorite part about the game is like, now if you start as Hugo, you go into that scene and you see it happening and you're like, yeah. this chick is a lunatic. She burned my village. She just killed my best friend. You know, what the heck? Dude. And then you play as her scenario mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, wow. She's the leader of the Zexan Knights and she's going to go meet with the Lizard Clan to um, sign the, the peace treaty with them. Mm-hmm. And when she gets there, it all goes sideways for her. They're all calling her a killer. Um, yep. And she's just like, I don't... Wh- what? Yeah. Yeah, she has no idea. They they call her some sort of like uh, like a she-devil or something like that. Yep. Or she-demon or something. Um, and then there's the third character, uh, Godot. Godot. Who, uh, he's a mercenary. He's working for the Holy Kingdom of Harmonia. Mm-hmm. However, he's clearly got his own motives and doesn't uh, subscribe to any nation. Is the vibe you get from him, right? Uh, and he's investigating. Plays uh, by his own rules. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make you lose your train of thought. Uh, so he's investigating rumors of the Firebringer being back, and he happens to see the key piece of the puzzle that we haven't seen yet, which is. Uh, Chris Lightfellow killing the leaders of the Lizard Clan. However, it's not actually Chris Lightfellow. It's actually a sorceress, I want to say. It's Sarah. It's whatever you want to call her. Yeah, we don't really need to go too far into that, though. Like, Okay, let's just say uh, there's a third party that is manipulating uh, events to make it look like each side is being the aggressor to the other side and sparking a war in the region and saying any more would be spoilers right and you kind of go you go back and forth between these characters watching the same events from different angles um interacting with different characters through each of those angles i mean we've talked about this before on the show um and it's like i said it's my favorite part about the game i love that kind of storytelling um getting to see all these angles and stuff and eventually you open up a fourth character who you get to play as as well. Oh yeah, Thomas. Uh, Thomas, who is the one who runs the castle that you eventually get. And the castle is just... It's like one of the best cities in any video game ever. Yeah. like It's basically like a small town. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd call it small, though. Like you're you like the other Suikoden games, you're recruiting the 108 Stars of Destiny. And those characters, when you recruit them, go to your castle and they all have different roles to play. So you've got entertainers you've got shopkeepers you've got innkeepers you've got people doing the laundry you've got people who are artists musicians all the stuff that are just building your castle and building this city literally that you get to go and play in i mean and that's kind of what thomas's uh deal is he's the caretaker essentially for this castle and it's it's just phenomenal um and And he's got a great plot himself which is that he's like the son of a noble but he's uh, a disgrace to his family, so they send him off and just give him this like rundown yep. piece of crap castle to get him out of their hair. But it turns out he's able to ra- raise it up into something great. Absolutely, and eventually, every, all the all the stories converge. Um, you know, way later on in the game, and you you actually get to choose the main character at the end of the game, which I thought was kind of an interesting touch. Uh, the flame champion, the new one. Yep. Um, and you get to pick one of the original three characters, Chris, Gado, or Hugo. And, you know, you go from there. But that's that's kind of the basic rundown of, of you know, what it's about and, and how it yeah. plays. Um, and it's very, very unique in uh, in how it is. This is the yes. first game that I played in the series, and it's my favorite in the series that I've played so far. 
I've yet to play four or five. Uh, four might be better. I don't know. Uh, uh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, nah. That's what I was going for. All right, so let's hop into pros. Um, for me, obviously, I mean, I think I just went over the Trinity Sight System. The storytelling, I think, is one of the biggest oh, yeah. pros. I think it has some of the best storytelling in, in any game that I've ever played. Um, the story itself is, you know, it's political. It's very in, It's It's good. But, like, I don't know. I think the storytelling is the part that stands out for me, just based on the Trinity Sight System and everything. Um, also, the characters... I personally felt, and maybe it's just because of the way it looked and it was 3D instead of 2D, I felt a little more attached to the characters in this game than I did in 1 or 2. Not that 1 or 2, you know, had bad characters or anything like that. I just, I don't know. They just seem to be a little more alive in uh, in this one. Yeah. And I think it really helped that there wasn't a silent protagonist in this game. Every character has his own personality. Yeah. Uh, You don't have the guy that's just sitting there, blank slate, doing nothing. But somehow is the hero of everyone. That you're apparently supposed to relate to somehow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I I personally, this is kind of a mixed bag for people. I like the skill system and the battle system. Um, you can really, really flesh out your characters how you want them to be in battle. Right. When you've got 108. That's insane. Well, it's, a, it's a very interesting battle system. Basically, like all, well, like most of the other Suikoden games, <laughs> you can have six people in your party. Which is pretty cool. This one, however, you group into three groups of two. Mm-hmm. And you can only give the, each group a command instead of each individual character. Right. So you have to kind of think about what you're doing. Like uh, if you have a spellcaster, you're probably going to want to have some kind of uh, melee fighter there as well. So they can just do their auto battle while the spellcaster is casting a spell. Right. And this is the first game that has like casting time as well. So you have yeah. to protect your spellcasters and make sure their concentration isn't broken so they can actually get their spells off. Yep. And like the other two, they're union attacks and union... Actually, union positioning, I guess, is the yes. best way to say it because yeah. you've got like like a perfect example. Two of the first characters you get, Hugo and Fubar, who Fubar's his big griffin that is, is with him. Um, if you put the two of them together in battle, they will... Like, Hugo will ride on him. And they'll have just massive attack that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, people who ride dragons later on that come in. Futch is in the game. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's from the from the first. I don't know if he's in the second one. He's in the first he's one. In the, he's in the second one he as is well. Too? Oh, okay. Um, but he, there's a lot of recurring characters, including the... Oh, the villain? Antagonist, the villain, yeah. Which well, we quote-unquote villain. <laughs> right, yeah. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, which was also very interesting as well. That's pretty much what I got for pros. What about you? Uh, I'm, basically, what you said covers it, but uh, I, the way they portray this whole political intrigue aspect is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Using the multiple perspectives to show you how convincing deception can actually be, Definitely. I think is pretty unique for a game. Uh, the music as well. Yeah. Oh, man. The music. Probably my favorite soundtrack out of the series. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. And the art direction is really good. I'm being particular about what I'm saying here because mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get we'll into that we'll get into here cons, in just a yeah, second. Absolutely. Uh, no, I agree with you. Like, especially like the, uh, it's definitely a pro con because yeah. the, the character portraits and the overall aesthetics and look of the game are fantastic. Like the way it looks and the mm-hmm. way it, if you just look at a piece of artwork from that game, it's like, wow, that's incredible. 
but then you play the game and you see the animation. And it's yeah. kind of like, ah, it's tough. Uh, so well, that's that'll bring us into cons. That would be Although my I biggest. Although I got one bone to oh, pick. Yeah, it, was, it was either you or Brian who said he didn't like Hugo's frosted tips. That wasn't me. I played as Chris. That wasn't me. Oh, someone said it. Uh, was it my brother? I was uh, maybe, but either, either way, I always saw that just as sun bleached hair, not frosted. Tits. Backstreet Boy frosted. Yeah, I'm tits. sure. I'm sure it is sun bleached hair. I don't know. I don't remember that. Okay, I don't know who said it then. Look at you, Mark's the third party trying to stir up trouble between the Grasslands <laughs> and the Zexan Knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but the okay, so cons. Like I said, the animation is the toughest one for me to get into. That that is anybody who goes to check out this game. That's what I'm going to tell you to going to warn you about is you see that you will be like this looks really terrible. It's 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 a turn off for some people. Yeah. Uh, because the animation is very slow, your characters move very slow. Um even in battle, they they kind of run around in circles and if you think about what's actually happening, it's very cool, but watching it in action is kind of like it's very slow. Do you guys think that part of that is cuz you're right, they're 2D characters and um, like the art direction is very good. Like the first two, the excellent art, right? Do you think maybe they were kind of pressured to do 3D since they were on the PS2 and they weren't Probably. really equipped oh, I'm sure. to do it? I mean, they even, also didn't even have Sweet a big Code of... 1 was... Sweet Code 1 came out right before Final Fantasy VII, yeah. which was the big 3D RPG. And you've got you've to figure this was Konami putting out an RPG. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the kind of big budget that Square right. Enix had at the time. Right. So it's, you know, I think they did the best they could of what they had. Sure. And, yeah. you know, I, I honestly was able to look past it when I played it. And, you know, that's kind of what I urge people to do when I when I tell them, when I recommend this game to them. is like, you're going to see how it looks and you're going to be like, ugh. I mean, to, mm. to be fair, if you just take still pictures of the of the game when you're playing it, you're like, oh, that's fantastic looking. And oh, yeah. It's literally only the animation that makes you go, oh. When they move. Yep. Yeah, because like the, 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 the scenes they set up and the backdrops and everything together, it's beautiful. But then when they move, you're like, oh, whoops, animation department, drop the ball. Yeah, this one. for sure. <laughs> uh, what about any other cons? Um, the, I don't, you might disagree, but the, the, way they handled the big battles in this game doesn't feel very epic like the previous games in the previous games you felt like you had big armies and in this it's like just a slight variation on the regular battles i agree with your point that it doesn't feel like that but i do like it it doesn't feel like big war is being waged but it feels like like a big skirmish okay i guess is the best way to say it yeah um like you are moving your characters around on this battlefield and anytime your little RTS model character thing moves into somebody else, uh, like an enemy, you go into a normal battle and you fight them that way. Uh, which I personally like because it lets me gives me a reason to level up more than just you know my main party because right. I'm going to have to use these other people in the big battles, which I always thought was missing from the other ones. It really didn't matter if I leveled up the extra characters and everything, which they made it a point to make it matter in this one. But I totally agree that it doesn't feel as big of like you know a, a a battle as the other two games had yeah. um so it's kind of i don't know it's interesting it'll be interesting for me to see how the, how four and five do that as well mm-hmm. um but yeah no i i don't i don't disagree with you at all yeah and then my last thing is i don't even know if this is a con it's just worth mentioning uh unlike the first two games you don't have the traditional rpg overworld where you can mm-hmm. walk anywhere you want and set it sort of like the final fantasy tactics uh mode 
where you have dots on a map with lines that you can. Yeah, but the difference is in this one you have to walk through some of the zones still, which is kind of annoying. So I could see that as a con. It, it is annoying, but at the same time, uh, just walking through some of those fields after like a key event in the game happened, very memorable to me. Those, I actually remember that as well as some of the plot points in the game. It's just walking through. I can see that. And having that atmosphere. Aren't you forgetting a con? Uh, 108 bit characters being way too many? Nope. Get out. That is, that is, we actually <laughs> missed that on the pros side. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it was perfect. They once again hit the nail on the head with yeah. that count. I wasn't so. sure, but then, you know, <laughs> I got all the characters and it was perfect. Okay. So, I mean, as far as recommendation, do you, do you recommend this game? Oh, yeah. 100%. As do I. It's, again, it's some of the best storytelling you will ever see. If you, especially if you like not just seeing your own character's focal point, being able to look at another character's and then another character's and then eventually another character's on top of that, uh, getting to see, you know, different perspectives on, on the events that are taking place. It's just so cool. It really is. Especially if you go into it blind and you have like, you're not looking at anything on the internet. Like we told you a little bit about what happens in the first one uh, in chapter one. That's far from all that happens to where you'll want to see both sides of the argument. And I, I was actually reading uh, some Game Facts stuff just so I could not be completely wrong about my uh, <laughs> intro. Right. And I was reading some very cool stuff, like depending on whose chapter you start first and little actions that you take during uh, those first chapters will completely introduce like brand new scenes for other person, other characters' first chapters. Really? For instance, if you're playing as Hugo and you go give was it the war emblem or something to the light fellow manor right you'll get that scene with her receiving it from her butler uh in the end of her first chapter that's the armor right uh i think so yeah yeah and there's plenty of other situations just like that like uh when you are playing as hugo and you see light fellow chris light fellow kill lulu Mm -hmm. you actually get a choice on how you want to react to that and then that you'll see that from her perspective. But if you play as her first, it's just already decided for you when you get there. So there's like an optimal way you can play if you really want to go into it. That's very cool. Yeah, I did not know that. Uh, granted, I've only played through the entire game once, but still, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I really do want to go back and play it again at some point because it's it's such a great great game. And it's, like I said, as far as the storytelling goes, I I will gush about it all day. It was it was ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. So we definitely recommend it. Uh, you got anything else to say about it? That's it. All right, then. To continue our discussion, we are going to head over to us in the studio with Ryan um, right now. JJ, take it away. All right. Thank you, JJ. Back over there in the frozen, nor- frozen north. In the frozen north. In the frozen oh, north. Oh, the frozen Whoa, wow, Mark! Just go ahead and yell. <laughs> yeah, in there. Mark, it's come fine. on! That's I didn't cool. do that. I was, uh, that. that was my tablet freezing. That was probably. Uh, okay, we are here with our buddy Ryan from over at the uh, Sweet in Revival Movement. Ryan, what's going on, man? Hey, everyone! Man, it's glad to be back. It's been almost a year to the day since I was last on the show. Yeah, my it's third been a while. time now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I mean, you you told me that you've listened to other episodes that we've done, and so. I'm a little embarrassed because you've heard me gush about how interesting I think you are. So you're my hero. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I have a confession to make. I am actually the love child of Soren Kierkegaard and Muhammad Gandhi. That well, there you go. That, yeah, that explains that's everything. Why I'm so great. That yeah. explains everything. Now it, makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense. 
so I mean, you know, before we get into into the uh, the whole Sweeken and Three thing, what's what's been going on with you? What's been going on going on with the SRM? Uh, can you give us any updates? Well, a lot's changed in the last year. Uh, we got Suicoden Two uh, released worldwide on the PlayStation Network, as well as Suicoden One, which was only available previously in North America. So that's worldwide. And Suicoden Three was also released worldwide, with the exception of Australia and New Zealand. But oh. just yesterday, just yesterday morning, uh, the Australian Classifications Board finally submitted its rating for Suicoden Three, and. A few hours later, Konami announced a release date for Australia and New Zealand for Sui Code N3 on the PSN. That's for PS3. So, yeah, we're really excited about that, especially because we had no clue what to do if, if it was the Australian Classifications Board holding things up, right? Because they're a rather infamously uh, unfle- inflexible organization. Brian, want, Brian wanted me to ask you if they're going to be uh, retranslating that to Australian. Uh, no, they're not going to be retranslating it to Australian, <laughs> as amazing as that would be. <laughs> I don't um, know, mate. That'd be great. Oh, you could have you could have all of the Koreans just be uh, talking like the uh, the outback accents. Absolutely. And then you know the Zexans would would talk in the in the Melbourne or Brisbane <laughs> what, accents. Mark, right? what's a creature in the game that's like looks kind of like a dingo? A, a griffin. The griffin. Griffin ate- looks nothing like. <laughs> I don't know what a dingo <laughs> looks like. The griffin ate your baby. <laughs> The griffin ate my baby. <laughs> Mark, you don't know what a dingo looks like? It's a dog. Oh. Basically. Yeah, no, it's a small dog. Yeah. There are quite there, a few small, small dogs, dogs in Australia. the game. Yeah, there's dogs in the game. I, what are they called? Dogs. Dogs. Oh, God, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Cool. So, I mean, any, anything else with the SRM, or is that uh, you get oh, pretty much um, just... By the, time, by the time this podcast goes live, uh, we will have closed our questions for the second round of our Murayama inter- interview, the original creator of the Suikoden series, Yoshitaka Murayama, is doing a second interview with us. But by the time this goes live, unfortunately, we'll have gathered all the questions and closed out. Um, but hopefully in the next few months, uh, Murayama will get back to us and we will publish uh, a second interview with him. Sweet. So, Have you guys had a pretty good, uh, pretty good turnout as far as questions being submitted so far? Yeah, we have. Uh, we we've we've got some really great questions from the community. We've also got the Japanese fan base going on questions with Murayama, so that's really fun too to see their perspective on the series and what they want to ask him. Definitely, definitely, cool. All right, well, uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely be keeping a close eye out and uh, looking for uh, you know that interview and, and anything else yeah. you guys are going to be doing in the near future. Where I think uh, what what the next move is, uh, we're looking at trying to get Suikoden in Four released on the yes. uh, PSN. Yeah, Suicoden 4 and 5 and Suicoden Tactics are basically next on the list. Um, it's going to be somewhat difficult to do that, though, because, well, just generally, we're waiting for uh, Sony to announce uh, PlayStation Network support for the PS4, right? right? Because PS3 is on the way out, Yep. let's be honest. Um, it's still It still has a few games coming out for it, and it's still good. I still have mine, and I'm going to keep mine for a while, but... Uh, yeah, without any kind of PSN on the PS4, this is going to be a problem. Now, recently there have been rumors, and Sony has confirmed that some PS2 games are going to be emulated on the PS4. They're doing this for some of the Star Wars games, uh, mm-hmm. some of the old PS2 Star Wars games. Uh, but they haven't made an official announcement yet. We we feel that at the PlayStation Experience event that they have going on in December, I think it's December 5th and 6th, um, yeah. they will announce... 
some kind of backwards compatibility for the PS4 in emulation. And we'll have to see exactly what form this emulation takes before we can come up with a concrete path of how to move forward. So, Cool. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. For sure. All right, so Suikoden 3. I mean, this game was quite a bit different from the other two, and not only in the fact that A was 3D, uh, but... Yeah. Also, um, and we, we might touch on this a little bit later, but you don't have a silent protagonist as a main character as well. That's right. No silent protagonist. And we will probably talk about that later if we have time. Uh, definitely. And we, we, we kind of, like I said, we did the review on the game a little bit ago with just, just the three of us sitting here. And uh, we talked about you know the Trinity Sight System. And I absolutely think it's one of the best ways that I've seen in a game to tell a story just because yeah. I love that, that multiple viewpoint aspect yeah. of it. Um, and we kind of like, I mean, the whole thing with starting out as Hugo and, and seeing this knight just kill your best friend. It's like, she is awful. How how can she burn my village and, and do this? And then you play from her point of view and it's like, oh, wow, that's not what I thought it was at all. Holy <laughs> crap. Yeah. So and just that that kind of interaction all throughout the game was was fantastic. So, I mean, I, and I think, speaking of that night, I think that's the first thing that you wanted to touch on with us was, uh, was Chris Lightfellow, uh, the, uh, the main female character in the game. I'm pretty much going to just open the floor to you, man, and, uh, and, and kind of let you do your thing. Okay, well, you know, one thing that I think Suicoden 3 does better than any other game in the series is show how complex reality can be, right? And uh, <laughs> with Chris Lightfellow, that's certainly true. As you mentioned... Uh, the Trinity Sight System mechanic allows you to kind of see this war develop from three different viewpoints. One is the viewpoint of Chris, one is the viewpoint of Hugo, and the other is a viewpoint of a mercenary named Ghetto. And it, it, this is a, an excellent way to show how complex this developing conflict between Zexan Nation and the Grasslands is. Chris, as especially, is a very interesting character to me. Uh, well, all three are very interesting characters to me, but sure. Chris especially, uh, because what she says about the way in which Sui Koden handles things like gender politics and and uh, other gender issues um, is really very intelligent, and I think the modern gaming, the modern institution, the modern industry of gaming could learn a lot from it. Uh, so, for example, one of the first scenes in her first chapter is her returning to her hometown of Vene del Zexe and meeting with the civilian council which oversees the knights. And she has become the acting captain of the knights because her two male superiors in the military perished in battle versus the grasslands. And immediately it becomes clear that the civilian government is attempting to use Chris Lightfellow not as not as she should be used, but rather as a disposable hero who loses her life in battle. And that way, they can use her as propaganda to support their own rule, as opposed to you know, any kind of sane or morally acceptable use of their knights, right? Mm-hmm. And use, use of their, their military power. And it's, this says a lot about how Sui Koden in general approaches the issue of gender. And that is to say, it doesn't approach the issue of gender. It boldly ignores the concept of gender, actually. Um, and I think it's really interesting because Chris is a very loyal person. She's very loyal to the knights and to her home country. 
Uh, and the civilian council just wants to use that to effectively you know, split up the grasslands and claim much of the territory for their own. And, it, and they intended to use their, her male predecessors for the exact same, for the exact same purpose. To show how Suikoden 3 and the Suikoden series in general deals with the issues of gender, it helps to go all the way back to Suikoden 1. And just a little scene back in Suikoden 1 uh, between two characters named Cleo and Hicks. In Suikoden 1, there is one village where there's actually pretty strictly defined gender roles in this village. And it's called the Warrior's Village, where men become warriors. And yeah, women, I do know, remember that. Yep. Whatever happens. And uh, there's one young warrior boy who meets a female warrior named Cleo, and he asks her, why does she fight? You know, this is very strange to me to see a woman warrior fighting. And when what Cleo replies as, she basically just says, hey, look, um, there, are, there are many things that I wish to fight for in the exact same way that there are many things you wish to fight for. So why does the fact that I'm a woman and you are a man enter into it? And so what she does in that, in that line is she actually just boldly dismisses Hicks's very concept of gender, not necessarily even saying that men and women are equal, but rather just saying that... It's irrelevant it, to point out whether they're equal or not. Yeah, it's irrelevant. And there are so many wider things in this world to consider mm-hmm. and so many deeper problems in our society that... When you get right down to it, men and women don't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of plumbing you may have, right? Yeah. Just straight up, it's about who you are inside. And in many ways, this is the exact same uh, attitude that carried into Suikoden 3, only I think much more, uh, much more fully expressed. Yeah. yeah, much more fully expressed in Suikoden 3. Um, where it becomes apparent that the political problems between the Zexan Knights and the Zexan Council are much, much deeper than any kind of gender issue that could come forward. And it's, it's funny because the fact that she's a female commander is barely ever brought up in the game. Like, nobody even, nobody even seems to care, right? It's just her sheer skill obviously makes her qualified, and yeah, no one even really brings it up, so... But yeah, and it, it helps to show, too, that the Suikoden approach is to boldly just ignore the concept of gender. Because in these stories, there are wars going on and deep problems in society that uh, make gender, gender and gender issues simply irrelevant in, in the face of these things. And I think that's really, in my opinion, the best approach. Because if you take a game where you have a female heroine and, you know... All the different characters in the game are saying, oh, you can't do that because you're a woman. And, you know, they're very, they're very sexist and very misogynist like that. Yeah, well, I, I think, think well, if, you, if I can interject, I think the opposite is true, too. Um, I think a game that truly wants to be uh, a game that's, like, gender equal is, they, like you said, they ignore it. It's not yes. where it's not where the, you know, the female character walks and like, I am I am a strong woman. Like, they don't point it out. Like yeah, even if it's like absolutely. in the if it, even if it's in the opposite vein, if they're not you know being derogatory towards a woman, even if they're but if that game takes it the other way and goes, well, let's prop them up, then it's still misogynist, just in an opposite way, where it's like I'm yeah. a woman and I am strong. It's like well, yeah, if you just ignore it and you just say, well, that's like that's like step one. It's they're so far beyond the issue of gender inequality yeah. that they don't even have to 
frame it anymore. It's just yeah. that's exactly everyone's right. equal. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Or everyone's individual. They don't, even, they don't even mention it because that's not something that's worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. And games, you know, games that put in uh, strong female protagonists who are always told they can't do things because they're women are obviously really just pandering to women rather than, you know, which is exactly what women don't want. They don't right. want to be pandered to, or at least any woman, most women that I know don't want to be pandered to. Absolutely. They want to be treated as an equal, as a true equal. And in this game, in Suikoden 3, Chris has attained equality, but at quite a price because, you know, she's intended to die on the battlefield. So it, it, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really wonderful how Suikoden has always handled the concept of gender, in my opinion. And I think we could learn a lot from it. Um, roughly throughout the, the history of the games, if you add up all the women, uh, roughly 40% of the characters are women. It's really, really good for Suikoden. I never even um, thought of that, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's awesome. and it's as far as the fan base, as far as we can tell, roughly 40% of the fan base is women as well at the SRM. So that's cool. That's That's yeah. I mean, and it goes to show, you know, in the real world that women respond to these types of things. They respond positively to someone who doesn't pander to them and who treats them like an equal, like the Sui Coding games do. Absolutely. And there are there are female there are female antagonists in the game as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I I we kind of when we were talking about it before, Brian hasn't played the game all the way through, but we spoiled it a little bit for him as far as who's the, who the antagonist was and everything, and and talked about that aspect. We didn't go into the the detail with the uh, the female one uh, who's who's there with him and, and by his side, and that whole scene at the end is pretty incredible too. Yeah, uh, with the two of them, but. I don't know. I I think you know this. This is just another reason why this series is so great and and showing that it goes beyond the norm. You know, you've got situations like this where there are so many games, like Brian said, that tout uh, strong female characters, which is great. But you, this game shows you that you, you know, in order to show that you can have a strong female ca- character, let right. alone a lead, you don't yeah. have to put them front and center and make them announce that they're a strong female. Yeah, character. exactly. When they when you Anytime you sh- you like bring it to light, positively or negatively, you're basically saying like, "Hey, we're doing this to appeal to women. Right? Look, they're strong. Yeah. Like, no, a game that's truly equal, they won't even they won't even mention that aspect. It's just like assumed, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and other games, other games have done this too. Like like Silent Hill Three mm-hmm. has a very strong female protagonist, in my opinion, but it doesn't really harp on it. You know, it's it's just a thing that happens. Well, uh, that's why so many, and I, I know I, we talked about this before we started recording. That's why so many uh, women gamers love Mass Effect uh, because it, yeah. they had to write the story for a male and a female, so they didn't make it gender specific. So when yeah. you play as femi- uh, f- female Shepard, you get that experience where yeah, she's a female commander, but no one cares, no one questions yeah. it. They just assume that she's strong enough to lead. So that's I think that's one of the the appeals to making a game truly. Equal is not mentioning it. Yes. Yep. To boldly ignore the concepts of gender Correct. is, in my opinion, the best way to do it. Yes. And uh, I want to bring this up to uh, a situation from real life that happened back in 40 AD, or CE if you prefer that, um, all the way back almost 2,000 years ago. Something interesting happened in Nam Viet, which is today the, what we call the northern part of Vietnam. Um, where 
we actually had a fully it's the first recorded instance in in world history of a fully gender equal army and military command uh and it's really interesting to learn about this because uh it it goes to show just how much um gender roles and the concept of gender are parts of our society Mm -hmm. right they're imposed on us by the society and to a certain extent they don't mean anything in the real world um what happened in vietnam in 40 a.d is the chinese invaded and took over uh the northern part of the country and they executed a young official uh whose name was true and because he was he was opposing their occupation essentially and what happened is Trung's husband, whose name is uh, Trung Trok, uh, and her sister, whose name is Trung Nhi, uh, united the rebels and actually fought back against the Chinese occupation. And so the army was a fully gender-equal army led by two women, two sisters, Trung Trok and Trung Nhi, uh, and they actually succeeded in fighting off the entire Chinese army that was in the area occupying and freeing northern Vietnam from Chinese occupation. And they had a fully gender-equal army with many male generals under their command, as well as many female generals under their command. Um, And they succeeded for a while in holding off the Chinese. But unfortunately, and this is important, this story does not have a happy ending because the Chinese were so outraged that a woman or that women could drive them away from northern Vietnam that they came back in 42 AD, two years later. And they came back in force because the Chinese quite obviously had a much larger, much more well-organized military. Right. They came back in force and they reconquered northern Vietnam and both Trung Truc and Trung Nhi died in battle. Or according to some stories, they actually took their own lives when they saw that the battle was lost. Um, and that's actually really important because... It shows that even if you have gender equality, it's not immediately going to turn the world into a utopia. It's not going to be gender equality and then everything is perfect. No. There are some severe – as I said before, there are severe, serious problems in society that are far beyond gender. And Suikoden 3, just like the story of the Trung Rebellion, uh, shows this. Just like in real life, it, it echoes the Trung Rebellion. And I think that's a really important point to bring up. It's just another example of how how this series shows you that not all situations are just black and white. There are exactly. so yeah. many gray areas out there. I was, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. It's like th- this series doesn't have strong female characters. This series has strong characters in general. Right. Like, yeah. Absolutely. There's maybe putting aside one character in the series. There's no truly pure evil person out there. And that's real to life because people... You know, any villain is the hero in their own story, essentially. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> one character. I know exactly who you're talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was just mentally ill. I don't know. And one thing one thing I want to bring up, too, is that not only with things like, you know, invasions and occupying armies, but also with general social catastrophes, it's interesting that when societies become stressed to the breaking point, they often start seeing uh, much greater levels of gender equality. For example, uh, during the Black Plague in Europe, uh, this would be you know, roughly the 1300s, um, 
you know, roughly half of England's population died. It was terrible. But what happened, uh, conversely, is that women started uh, being being gainfully employed as things like bricklayers, carpenters, builders, and things where you, you know, are quote-unquote gender roles. Uh, you wouldn't think that women in the Middle Ages, women in what a lot of people call the Dark Ages, would actually those kind would actually pursue those types of jobs, but they did. There are actually paintings of women building a, a church by laying brick by brick. And a lot of women actually got onto uh, trade guild roles as well uh, and became members of trade guilds, guilds during, the, during the aftermath of the Black Plague as society started to stabilize, but the population was still much, much lower than it had been previously. Um, and this goes to show that I think that gender inequality is something of a societal luxury. And I'm using the term luxury in the negative sense, right? Like luxury is a bad thing. It's a societal luxury that in order to oppress half of your population, you have to expend some kind of soci- some tremendous amount of societal energy. And when your society is stressed to the breaking point, either through disease or through invasion and occupation, then you no longer have enough spare energy to just oppress half of your population. Yeah, and definitely. now, you know. First, first world problems. well actually you know what you know gender inequality might very well be a first world problem uh yeah in fact uh there there are some archaeological evidence that the indus valley civilization which is like 2000 bc or something long time ago actually had gender equality uh simply because they didn't have the kind of societal institutions that we have and they didn't have the kind of support that we do today but this, I'll, let's tie this back into Suicoden 3 real quick before we finish up on, on gender politics. I know it's difficult to talk about, especially because it's been so controversial of late. I mean, let's be honest. With Gamergate and anti-Gamergate and a lot of things like that, yeah. Anita Sarkeesian, it's been a mess. It's been a double rage storm across the internet sky, let me tell you. Um, and my position... I'll just tell you my position right now is that I don't care that much about hashtags. Like, if you support Gamergate, (laughs) you are welcome. You are welcome (laughs) in the SRM. If you are vehemently anti-Gamergate, you are welcome in the SRM. And I don't want to get into it too much, but I want to say that it's, just like with Sui Koden, it's good to keep our eyes on the larger prize here. It's good to know that there there are things beyond gender politics and at the end of the day, we are all equal, regardless yeah. of what we believe. And right. that's the way Sui Koden 3 and Sui Koden series in general treats women. It's the way it treats its characters. And I think we should take from that and do that in real life, too. Absolutely. I want to clear one thing up real quick, because Mark made it sound like I'm like... You literally just made it sound like I took a side on the Gamergate thing. <laughs> no, that's, I'm taking a side on I don't like putting a bunch of hashtags yeah, in my tweets. I know, tweets. I know that's what you meant, but that's not how it sounded. It has nothing to do with that. I completely agree with the, with the, with what you're saying about Gamergate. I think the whole situation is just blown way out of proportion. And uh, I mean, there are some issues, absolutely, and I will acknowledge those. You know, till the cows come home. But I think a, I think there's a lot of people who got involved who. Uh, you know, have no idea what the heck's going on, anyways. Which is a big reason why I tried to stay out of it, because I don't know a lot about it. Um, and yeah. B, it's like 
I don't know. I just don't see the point in... It, it turned political, and you guys know my stance on politics. When it becomes political, facts go out the window. It's all about just the yeah. message. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And also, hashtags yeah. suck. Mark just doesn't like when I tell him <laughs> to use hashtags use the, when he tweets. Use the famous hashtag hashtag. Hashtag, put a hashtag, hashtag in front of it, and then you spell hashtag. I've started <laughs> hashtag keep on gaming, so I haven't started I, it. Some I tweeted other that once, it, but you did once. <laughs> nice, nice. You guys are getting how to use Twitter. Um, <laughs> oh, I still yeah, have no, not JJ, figured it out. <laughs> JJ, I think you know this because I think I told you this, but um, in private. But I, I actually moved for uh, back in you know a year ago, last September, when Gamergate first started getting going. Mm-hmm. I didn't have internet for like three and a half weeks because you know i was too busy and then it took a while to get the internet set up at my new place so on and so forth um and it was hilarious because when i didn't have any internet there was no gamergate and then when i came back gamergate (laughs) was everywhere it was all anyone was talking about but it was just this massive firestorm of hatred and vitriol and honestly like i'm not a stupid person okay i'll 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 seriously say that i don't think i'm stupid but I have no idea how to even navigate that. Nope. Yeah. Coming no into idea. it in the middle, like I just I don't even understand what's going on, and that's my position on gamergate. And too many people, neutral. Too many people who don't understand what's going on are acting like they do. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I was saying. Like I, I mean, I don't want to devolve this into a gamergate discussion, right? But like, that's my biggest issue with it is that I've asked so many people. Like, if you get, start talking to somebody about it, every person you talk to is going to have a different stance on it because it doesn't seem to be about any one thing. It seems to be about a thousand different yeah. things, and it's like, wh- what is what? No, it's just it's turned political. And what do people? What do, what is American politics? It's regurgitate the same catchphrase. Yeah, and so people who don't know anything, they'll just regurgitate something they heard on Twitter. People should just calm down. That's all yeah, there is to it. People should calm down. Keep on gaming. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep on gaming. On gaming. What's yeah. it? I always say, Mark, at least we all love video games. That's true. Yeah. There you go. All right, so what do we got next? <laughs> well, moving on, you know, I think we've. I think that was a really good discussion about women. Moving on, Definitely. I'd like to talk about uh, the Flame Champion, who's a character that you get to name in uh, Sui Code N3, and his role as the protagonist of, of the game I think it's actually really interesting to uh, examine him and take a look at his character because, to a certain extent, I think that he is Yoshitaka Maruyama, the original creator of the series, almost talking directly to the audience, to the Sui Koden fans. And examining him is also really interesting for people who want to get into making video games and especially writing video games and being a games writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think... You can really learn a lot from from uh, just watching how Murayama expertly uh, executes the Flame Champion character. So first off, in Suikoden 1 and Suikoden 2, we had silent protagonists, right? Yep. The Tenkai characters were both silent. And this was very common, obviously, in the era, in the era to have that, especially with <clears throat> games like Chrono Trigger, you know, some of the Final Fantasy characters, but really mostly Chrono Trigger and Dragon Warrior and Silent Protagonists in those games. Um, so Suikoden 1 and Suikoden 2 followed in that tradition. The Flame Champion in Suikoden 3 is not a Silent Protagonist. He actually speaks extensively in a couple of scenes. And what's very interesting is what he says. So, for example, in Chapter 4, and this isn't 
too much of a spoiler, I think it's fine to just go ahead and tell you a little bit about what happens. Sure. The Flame Champion is speaking to his girlfriend, Sana, and they're on the hill alone, and uh, he he's talking about the army that he is leading and how everyone is just uh, shoving their own hopes and dreams onto him, and he is wondering if he is strong enough to do that. And in the end, he comes to the conclusion that what I can do is I can bear their burdens temporarily, uh, but as, but very soon they will have to learn how to take care of themselves because I cannot I cannot bear the entire hopes and dreams of a nation all on my own. People need to learn how to take care of themselves and fight for themselves. And I think that that speaks a lot to the gamer playing the game uh, directly from Murayama. He's essentially just telling you that. As great as Suikoden is, eventually you're going to have to move back to the real world and stop projecting who you are onto the protagonists of the Suikoden games. And let me tell you why I think that. Um, Nowadays, it's very, very common to have silent or semi-silent protagonists. Uh, You know, for example, like the main character in Skyrim, where the player is fully expected to just project themselves onto their avatar in the game, mm-hmm. psychologically project themselves onto the player avatar in the game, um, and then move throughout this world as if they were inside of the world. Murayama is, in a sense, by turning the Flame Champion into a speaking character, he is rejecting that. He is rejecting blank psychological projection onto a main character. He wants you to take the burden onto yourself and stop projecting it onto the characters in the game. And this is very, very interesting in light of a work that was published, a a work of psychological literature that was published in 1973 by the the great child psychologist named Bruno Bettelheim. He wrote a book called The Uses of Enchantment. And let me tell you a little bit about... uh, Dr. Bettelheim. He was, in many ways, a very interesting man. He survived the Nazi death camps in Germany during World War II because he's Jewish, um, and then moved to America and practiced child psychology to treat severely traumatized children. I mean, children that were the victims of abuse, children that um, saw their parents murdered in front of them. And he spent his whole career preventing the rise of the real-world Batman um, like that, you know actually helping kids out and what he did is he used uh, fairy tales quite often in his treatment of children kind of like an art therapy type of thing where he'd read fairy tales to children and then ask them their opinion and see how things went and he found that uh, during these fairy tales the children would project themselves onto the main characters precisely because the main characters were so generic and simplified that any child could really project themselves onto any main character in a traditional fairy tale simply because of this. And this can actually create much psychological healing inside the minds of these very traumatized children. Um, And he used them extensively, and he was very successful in using fairy tales to treat children. But, and so Bettelheim talks extensively about this kind of projection. And in fact, he actually says that uh, in prepubescent children, in pre-sexualized children, uh, whether or not the the main character of a fairy tale is male or female doesn't actually matter to them at all. They will project themselves equally onto a male character 
as well as they will onto a female character, which is another very interesting thing. But here's the thing, is that modern gaming is not a fairy tale, now is it? Um, While projecting yourself onto a character can be very, very useful and very, very healing, and also very entertaining, it's not what Murayama wanted to do with the Sui Kodan series. He wanted to talk about deeper subjects that when you are simply blankly projecting yourself onto a character, these deeper subjects are often hard to talk about or don't come up. And that is why I think, you know, in Sui Kodan 3, why the Flame Champion was not a silent protagonist is because he wanted to kind of shock people out of blank, assumed projection onto, onto different characters. Yeah. And tell them that, hey, you know, Sui Koden is great, but there's also the real world, and you need to learn to fight for yourself as well. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not 100% sure on that, obviously, and it's just my opinion. If you disagree, you're more than welcome to. But uh, <laughs> I think... I think at some point, Murayama must have read Bruno Bettelheim's Seasons of Enchantment, which is, by the way, if you want to get into games writing, you, I absolutely suggest that you read that 100%, because it's, it's a fascinating book. And it will teach you a lot about using maybe silent protagonists, maybe using generic protagonists, and using full-on characterized protagonists, and where you should use each. You know, for example, in you know, Legend of Zelda is great, obviously. And you are totally welcome to project yourself onto Link when you play that game. And that's great for, for Legend of Zelda, but for something that wants to discuss more deep philosophical issues and deep uh, political issues like Sui Koden, it becomes very difficult to sustain the silent protagonist, Right, is what I'm saying. Definitely. I mean, there's not any super deep morals in a Zelda game. No. no. Not so definitely. yeah, I see what you're saying. Don't Ze- be a giant. Don't be a giant pig. Zelda That's is the right. Zelda is the modern day version of the fairy tales he was discussing. Basically, exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 But uh, Sui Koden is obviously aimed more at adults, and it wants to discuss and bring out different philosophical and political issues, so on and so forth. So the silent protagonist becomes less useful in that scenario is what I'm saying. It's not inherently better or inherently worse silent or talking protagonist, but just for what Suikoden wants to do. And that's actually one of the reasons I was so disappointed in Suikoden 4 and Suikoden 5 is because they both have silent protagonists. And I think the creators of those games really missed the point of the Flame Champion in the end. Yeah. Just out of curiosity... Um, cause there, there's a point in the game where you actually get to pick a new flame champion. Um, and I know you've played through it multiple times. Who do you typically like to choose? Well, the first time I went through the game, I chose ghetto because ghetto is one of my favorite characters in the entire series. He is so silent. I mean, he's almost a silent protagonist. He barely <laughs> even talks, you know, but when he does, it's very strict and to the point. And you see, and you see a very deep and calm thought process beneath his rather stoic personality. You know what I mean? And that's what I liked about Ghetto, is that he is just this very, very deep, very, very thoughtful character who's quiet and contemplative rather than you know, outgoing like Hugo, right? 
And so I picked Ghetto the first time, and that's great. And then I picked Hugo and Chris and different playthroughs and everything. And in many ways, I actually like all three almost completely equally, actually. Oh, wow. I, all of them have their own really interesting stories. For example, if you pick Hugo as your flame champion, uh, he, you get to see him dealing with his friend's death and learning to, in many ways, forgive Chris for what happened at the Karaya village in chapter one. And that's a very interesting process to see in Hugo, if you choose him, how he overcomes his grief and his anger and his rage and learns to forgive. And that, to a certain extent, is what learning to forgive is what makes him qualified to be a leader. And that's really interesting if you get to see uh, Hugo. And if, you, and if you choose Chris, then by all means, like you get a great story about her and her father, you know, so on and so forth. So each one has its own advantages and disadvantages. And I would suggest just play all three because that's what <laughs> I did. Make a save, don't write over that save, and just play all three. Yeah, right. there you go. I, yeah. I think I chose Chris when I did it. I I just I liked her so much that I uh, you know chose Hugo. What I wanted to run with. I thought you didn't like his frosted tips. That's what you said. No, I said you don't like his they're frosted not frosted tips. Jeez, I said they're not frosted tips. <laughs> they're sun bleached. My, yeah, my the sun, that's what I said. What's the difference? I, I, and there's the awkward silence. Okay, <laughs> way to go, guys. Good well, I don't know how to respond to their sun bleached tips. You know. Just, <laughs> I, <laughs> oh man! No, I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think uh, Bruno Bettelheim said anything about sun bleach tips. <laughs> no, <his> so <laughs> it's a little. It's a little diff- difficult for me to change gears quite that quickly. There's no stories from like you know 20 BC or something where there was a battle or over frosted tips or something that no, we can no, go over like that. Unfortunately, <laughs> they, did, they didn't have Kardashians back then, so they're not <laughs> fashion. Yes, as opposed to today, where you know obviously we wage battles. He goes just like, yo, bro, I'm going to put some of that uh, lemon juice in my hair yeah. get that bleach. Yeah. Then he went and he grabbed his surfing board. Yeah. And, uh, bro, it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, man. Um, um, Hugo. <laughs> From now on, I'm always going to refer to him as, what up, bro? I'm Hugo. <laughs> no, but I do, I do love the Koreans, though, because they are, to a certain extent, an extension of, obviously, the Native American pe- tribes. Right, without necessarily copying anything from Native American tribes, you know what I mean. I was definitely seeing that in the color palette. I was trying to put my finger on it, but yeah, in the color palette and in terms of like their accessories and the things mm-hmm. that they wear, very Native American like. Yeah. But at the same time, they are their own culture without you know without borrowing too heavily. And I really like that because I don't like it when you make just like these completely blank and obvious allegories like that. Like you know, for example, in World of Warcraft, right the Toran race are Native American cows. Yep, yep. That's literally what they are. Yep. Whereas opposed to in Suikoden, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of interesting things where their society actually differs from Native American culture yeah. a little bit. The trolls are the uh, the the jungle tribes. I like to call yeah. that uh, George Lucasing. Yes, direct <laughs> allegory. In fact, actually, um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien talked about direct allegory like that quite a bit in his private interviews and private letters. Uh, with other people, and he said he hated it. Like, he never intended for the the dwarves in his story to be, for example, Jewish people. He never intended that. That's kind of how people took it, but he never intended it that way. I can and see he never, that. Yeah. He never intended the elves to be, quote-unquote, angels, either. You know, he wanted to base them more on the Tuatha Danann from uh, Irish Gaelic 
pre-Christian Irish Gaelic. Um, and he hated direct allegory because he thought it was the writer imposing his own will on the audience as opposed to kind of a soft allegory or metaphors right. where that actually inspires people to think for themselves and to come up with their own conclusions. And that's one of the things I think Sui Koden does really well is it allows you to come up with your own conclusions and it forces you to think for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay, I mean, you got anything else that you want to go over or talk about with three? Oh, I've got lots more I want to go over and talk about. But, you know, I don't think we really have that much time. We've got, what, 20 minutes, 10, 10 15 minutes left or so before we reach an hour? Uh, yeah, something like that. And we just don't have time to do it. I mean, like I said, I can talk about Suikoden all day long. That's the fourth time I've said it on your program. <laughs> it's as true now as the first time I said it. I will say it again at some point if you ever have me on again. <laughs> I love talking about Suicoden. I could talk about Suicoden all day, but unfortunately, programs like this do have some kind of time limit, right? Right, absolutely. Right. And we can't have a ten-hour podcast unless you really want. to I mean, to go we for can. It. Yeah, we can. That's not out of the realm of possibility, but we're definitely going to have you on again because I want Mark to play through four. Oh, oh no! Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> four. You know what? I can defend four. I actually really like Suicoden four. It's just not as good as the others. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark. Um, I'll play through it if Brian does. Uh, oh, I still got to play what? through three. And I would love to actually talk with you guys about Silent Hill 2 as well, because as I made clear my last time I was here, Silent Hill 2, outside of Suikoden, is one of my favorite games of all time. Right. right? I- it's definitely on my top five list if you ignore all six Suikoden games. You know, <laughs> just my top five list would be Suikoden 1 through 5, right? But if you ignore Suikoden games, I think... Silent Hill is definitely in my top five of all time, and it's it's a phenomenal game. We can get really deep into. I was gonna, I was just gonna, like Suikoden. Yeah, I was gonna mention the uh, the last time you were on, I had made that promise that I would beat Silent Hill two by the time you came on again for three, <laughs> and uh, and I did. And I mean, you and I talked about it for a while. And I, seriously, if we can get Mark to play this game, because I know he would absolutely adore it. You mean and Shanna? Love it. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Get his wife to play it. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I will promise you. I want to make a promise on air. Uh, okay. I will experience a significant portion of the game by next time you're on. <laughs> nice. Oh. Well, okay, great. Is that that's, all we can get? That's, that's like that's saying as good yeah. as you're getting from me. I can promise you guys tomorrow I will wear a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, Mark. <laughs> tomorrow I will breathe air. I don't. I, I don't make promises I can't keep. Oh, he's pointing at Brian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we I, absolutely. I would, I would love to to talk about that too because you're right. There's so much there. I only played through it once, and some of the stuff you were describing to me about Silent Hill Two, there's tons more on the side that I didn't even get to experience as far as all the yeah. endings go, and and some of the subtleties that I I didn't catch when I when I played through it. Um, but I really, really think Mark would enjoy the uh, the storytelling and 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 that. So if we get him to play it. Uh, yeah, we, we'd love to have you back on to talk about that. Absolutely. Well, hold on, Mark. You know what they say. It's better to have promised and not come through with the promise than to never have promised at all. No, that's not what they say. That's, 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 who like, says that? That's, promising, says that. Is the nine, promising is nine-tenths of the law. It's, huh? think, so we're not think, done, right? We're not done, right? <laughs> I think Joseph Stalin is the only one who said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Mark, Mark, let me tell you something. Let me, let me explain a scene from Silent Hill 2, and hopefully this, this will get you to play it. Um, there's a scene at the very, very end of the game, right before the last boss battle, 
where you walk down this hallway and there's kind of a voiceover over coming in, you know, through the walls, through the doors, everything as you walk down this hallway. And at this point, you're right at the end of the game and you have overcome your fear, your horror, and your terror. And you are just totally, you're totally pumped up for the final boss of the game. And what happens is this voiceover has such amazing, brilliant storytelling to it that if you listen all the way through, you have over you will have overcome your terror, but then you will be overcome by sorrow. Like that is how amazing the storytelling in this game is. Is is it forces you to overcome your fear, only to just blindside you with the sorrowful brilliance of its storytelling. Sounds right? pretty good. There it's were a lot of goosebump moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it it. That's one of the things about the game is that not only is it just a horror game that's terrifying, and it is terrifying, but its writing is so good that it can literally, I, I have no shame in saying this, it moved me to tears during that scene in the, in the hallway right leading up to the last boss. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic game. It really is. I, you got you to gotta get to it, man. You got to do it. Yeah. All right. Make that promise. You make that I'm, promise. I'm standing by the promise I already made. <laughs> <laughs> it's better to have promised and lost than to uh, have nine you tenths of the law. You just Nope. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. That's, that's not the same. Um, remotely a thing. So I wanted say. to ask uh, <laughs> if you have any thoughts on Alma Kinnan. Is that how you say it? Alma Kinnan? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Alma Kinnan uh, is actually a very interesting place in the game. Uh, for those who don't know, it's... Um, it's a village of all women hunters inside the game. And of course, Chris travels there during her chapter three, because it's much more interesting to have Chris, who is a woman travel there than Hugo or ghetto. Um, it is kind of like, well, almost the exact opposite of the warriors village from Suicode N one, right? Which was this very male dominated society. And in all McKinnon and Chris's chapter three, we see a female-dominated society that is by no means a utopia, at least by our concepts, because not to, not to spoil too much, but they do practice human sacrifice in this village. And it, it really blindsides you, right? And it completely... And it's handled in a very interesting way because it yeah. blindsides you. You don't see it coming. And also it goes to show not only that you know, foreign, foreign cultures will have entirely different uh, gender roles, entirely different uh, societies than yours. And in the end, basically what happens is since the child sacrifice is actually very willing and indeed quite, not just willing, but, but actually um, very excited to be sacrificed, you know, essentially, I do what remember that. Yeah, Chris and Nash stand down, and they allow it to occur because, yeah, just because it's not their place to say that this is wrong or right for right. this very isolated village. Absolutely, and it goes to show again, you know, that with you know gender equality, it's not immediately going to be a utopia, right? There's going to be other severe problems going on. So definitely, well, we're all human, and you. Uh, yeah. Do you have any theories about how they continue their lineage in that village, since it's very hidden and private? 
Well, I think they clearly have elven magic in the village because, for example, in uh, Suikoden 5 and Suikoden 1, there are, lo- there are areas of the world map and the world that are locked off by elven magic that human beings have very difficult time passing through. It's kind of like an right. illusion. You kind of go around in circles and then you come back. Um, what I think is that the Almakinen are probably half human, half elves, and they just live for a very long time. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And so I think, or maybe, who knows? I mean, nobody knows anything about the elven civilizations in Suikoden at all or how they reproduce at all. So for all we know, elves could basically be more plant than animal, you know, <laughs> and they could just, they could just reproduce, you know, generally like that. So. Hey, we're all about plant equality too. So yeah. uh, plant I mean, quality. Yeah. So my new movement, hashtag plant quality. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Mark. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, I think I think uh, we're kind of running down to the wire now here. I I did want to kind of just give a quick shout out to to you guys as uh, your sites and stuff like that. I will say, obviously, uh, like Ryan said, he can talk about this stuff for hours on end, and I can attest to that because we have gone through Facebook messages like crazy where I have read books that this guy has sent me. So <laughs> and it's always always just really really super interesting to read and, and really good stuff. Go to go to their Facebook page, facebook.com slash revival, uh, and and just just give them a like, and you'll see that they post this kind of stuff every now and then too on there, and you'll get to actually yeah. like you know read it firsthand and, and people discuss it and stuff. Um, and then uh, there's also you guys have uh, the website now, sweekedinrevivalmovement.com, yep. and uh, and on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash sweekedinrevival, uh, or at, at sweekedinrevival. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, it'll work either way. Uh, so, I mean, anybody have anything else before we, uh, before we wrap this thing up? I really want to go play fem- a Femship campaign now on Mass Effect. I was going to play The Wolf <laughs> Among Us, but I'm literally now, like, my, my brain just went, oh, crap, I got to play that trilogy again. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the Mass Effect trilogy, even though on PC it's only available on Origin. Yeah. yeah. I know. But I think that's probably going to be on my Christmas list along with Witcher 3 and Ooh. Metal Gear Solid 5 well, for PC gaming. Well, so. keep in mind, when you see Steam um, uh, having a sale, typically Origin tries to match it. It's de- definitely a scaled-back version as EA is the devil, but yeah. um, you'll find that uh, they'll, they'll, they'll try to match Steam's sales uh, uh, with their own. And I see Mass Effect uh, at least 1, 2, and 3 discounted uh, somewhat. So, uh, but yeah. seriously, I, I, now that we talked about that, I'm, I'm like, been sitting here in my head going, dang it, I'm going to play that again, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny, like, going back a long ways, I am still actually waiting for EA's refund for Ultima 8. Because, <laughs> oh my God. Like, seriously, I bought Ultima 8 when it came, I was like, what, 13 years old or uh-huh. 12 years old or something. I bought Ultima 8 and it was just completely unplayable. Yeah. I'm still waiting for a refund from EA for Ultima 8. And I was going <laughs> to try to hold out and not play any EA games until they gave me my refund. But unfortunately, it looks like Mass Effect Trilogy is going to be something I'm going to have to play. So yeah. You won't regret it. It's fantastic. So, All right. Does anybody have anything else then? No, that's it, man. I, that was good. Ryan, always good having you on here. I yeah, know. absolutely. Oh, it's, it's great to be here. I love talking about Suicode. And, oh, that's the fifth time I've said it. Boom. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anytime, guys, anytime. Let me know. Awesome. And uh, like okay. I said, we get we get Mark to play Silent Hill two. Uh, we'd love to love to have you on for that as well. Shanna. Do you want me to yeah. do you want me to play Sweet Coden four or that first? Well, <laughs> Silent Hill two is the better game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know. I haven't played Sweet Coden four, so 
I will play Suikoden 4, 4 next. <laughs> has its problems, but you know, one of the things that I see in the SRM too is that we have a lot of uh, fans from Malaysia and Indonesia, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And one of the reasons for that is because of Suikoden 4. Suikoden 4 takes place in a place called the Island Nations. And these island nations are routinely colonized by the larger naval powers in the area. And think about how someone, how that might resonate from some, for someone from Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know, and it really resonates with them very, very interesting way. And they're they're big fans of the games over there of Suikoden Four over there. It's one of the one of the things that I've learned in the SRM is to appreciate Suikoden Four from the eyes of people from other cultures too. So. Right. If only they made a few different gameplay decisions. Yes. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, Sui Coden 4 had a very troubled development period, and it shows in the end. But I still love it. It's still Sui Coden. Mm-hmm. What can you say? And we'll get to yeah. it eventually, for sure. So, yeah. uh, well, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and call it there. Ryan, thank you again so much for, for taking the time out, man. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. All right. With that, we are going to go ahead and turn it back over to me in the studio. Uh, JJ? Give yourself a compliment. JJ, you're awesome, and you should take it. I don't know what. What? Come on. Me? Mark, you deserve a raise. Uh, Brian Brian over there at the studio, uh, I find that you are. Okay. Over to you guys. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, JJ and guys, for that colorful outro. Uh, Any thoughts on that raise? Nope, no thoughts whatsoever. You know what? I will. You know what? You've been doing great lately. I'm going to give you a hundred percent raise. Can I? Can I get a negative raise? Can I? Can you take like maybe negative fifty? You're going to owe us money. Okay, is what's going to happen. Deal. I love it. And Mark, you are going to be making a hundred percent more than what you make right now. Sweet. Sweet. So, boom. And I have to pay because that's the kind of guy I am. I have to pay fifty percent more than what I was being paid. Correct. To you. Okay. Uh, no, no, you just have a flat fee. You have to pay us $50. Flat fee. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So, like a subscription. It's not, not a percentage. Gotcha. Uh, man, I I mean, what else What else is there to say, man? Ryan, Suikoden Revival Movement. Suikoden's a pretty awesome game. It's a fantastic freaking series. If you had, like, we've been doing this thing for, what, 76 episodes now? Yep. And it's a series that we've gushed about so many times. Um, Mark and I have been longtime fans of the series, and it's just, God, if you haven't played it, what are you waiting for? We've talked about how good it is so much that... <laughs> what else is there to say? When a Sweet Coden game shows up on my top five, I just have to be like, been there, done that, let's move uh, on to right. the next one. Exactly. Um, but I mean, just just listening to, to Ryan talk, you know there's, yeah. it goes so much deeper than just us saying, it's really fun, I like it, and you can recruit 108 people, and it's a good time. You know, there's so much more to it than that, obviously, because, you know, he's able to, to articulate and really go into depth on, on what these characters do and, and motivations, comparisons to real world events, obviously, yep. and, and all this stuff. And it's just it's so cool that a, that a game series can bring that out. And I mean, if you play Suikoden, you will really, I urge you to, to people listening, if you have not, go play the first game, then go listen to our first, uh, episode that we had him on i think it was like 19 or something yeah and then do the same thing with two at some point and listen to the second one he was on and then do do it again with three and you can see these distinctions that he's drawing from this and and you can really understand you know what what he's talking about not that you know you can't understand what he's talking about just by listening but 
being able to put it in, in a perspective with a series like that, it's going to make you appreciate it that much more. So I uh, can't recommend it enough, and I, I want to just give them a shout-out, the SRM, real quick, one more time. Their website is SweekedInRevivalMovement.com. Their Facebook page is SweekedInRevival, uh, well, Facebook.com slash SweekedInRevival, and their Twitter is at SweekedInRevival. So please, please follow them, like them, uh, check out their site. Can't recommend them enough. And uh, big thanks to Ryan for, again, taking the time out to uh, to sit and talk with us about my favorite game in the series, hands down. So, uh, well, I mean, not much else we got for this episode. Do you guys have anything else that you want to go over talking about anything? Go ahead, Mark. You look like you want to talk about something. Brett should finish Sweet Code 3. I mean, I will. <laughs> um, Did you call him Brett? <laughs> okay. I, I will make this promise, Mark. Eventually, I will beat Sweet in 3. I will not make a promise as to when. Good call. I get, I'm, I'm, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> That's, wait. That is a weird analogy. That's a, how is that a high five moment? <laughs> well, understand. The important thing is we all love video games. That's my line. It is. Oh, man. Okay. With that, this is the Frozen North signing off for episode number 76. 76? My name is JJ. Hi, my name's Mark. And my name is Brian. Brian? Brian. Brian of Greyjoy. What a bunch of jokers. What a bunch of jokers. <laughs> there it is. There it is, guys. There it is. I'm Brian. Thank you again for listening, and as always, keep on gaming. Knitting. No. song was made available through the Creative Commons Attribution License by Ziphoid. The song title is Radical Fanfare. <laughs>